All right, it's episode 10 of the Auto Week podcast. Uh, with me, as always, we have... Jake Lingman, Road Test Editor. Jimmy Pelizzari. Jimmy Pelizzari from... Events Jimmy Pe- Pelizzari. He's a special guest <laughs> from the dark side of the building today, uh, a non-editorial uh, contributor who happens to follow some, some Ross and stuff. We have... Mike Price and motorsports editor. And a little bit later, we're going to be talking to Wesley Wren, our executive producer um, here at the podcast. Um, we are uh, in the midst of rolling out our new magazine design, um, which will also bring about some much needed, much needed changes in the podcast format. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We're going to start. I think heading in that direction with this one um, and then uh, make the, the full change probably by the next episode where you'll see uh, hopefully this current issue, issue one of our redesign uh, in your mailbox. But today we're going to talk about racing first. Um, I know it's it's uh, that time of year where uh, people are starting to think about who's going to be uh, in the claiming a championship this year in every series, um, and certainly we've got some good battles shaping up uh, in, a, in a number of series. Um, Mike, why don't you walk us through where we are right now? Well, like you say, we're getting not, we're getting near the, the end of the road here for a lot of these series. Is uh, IndyCar has one race left, and it's a two. It's basically a two race, uh, two car race for the championship between. Uh, uh, Scott Dixon and uh, Je- uh, Joseph New or Newgarden, Joseph Newgarden, duh. And uh, they're going; they've been going at it for a while, and it's uh, there are three points to separate them going into the final race out at Sonoma. Uh, IndyCar, they've got uh, final uh, chase race coming up, or I guess the regular season race before we go to the, the NASCAR. playoffs. NASCAR, NASCAR yep. Yeah. I'm sorry, and that's uh, pretty well set right now. We pretty much have the 16 uh, drivers set up for that, but again, it's a uh, Win and you're in situation, so uh, anybody could win. Uh, you know, the, all the non-winners are still in the, in the course, hunt for that thing. Everybody's everybody's hoping to see uh, Dale Jr. Uh, find his way into that. Well, that's probably the only drama left from Richmond. Is uh, you know, people say, "Hey, is the fix going to get in?" I mean, the networks. Everybody would love to see Dale Jr. in the playoffs in his last year in, in a Cup car, uh, but he has not been very competitive uh, the last uh, several races, and I think that'd be. Uh, Quite a long shot to think that he's got a shot this week. Um, you know, NASCAR's got a lot of issues going into this uh, uh, last race, too, because the last race we had, uh, Denny Hamlin won, uh, got disqualified. It's the second time they've had a disqualified driver this year. Joey Logano uh, won earlier this year and also got disqualified. Uh, they call those unencumbered races, meaning they're not going to count as a win towards your, uh, you know, playoff uh, points and all this kind of stuff. And and that's, uh, that's something that NASCAR is going to have to deal with because what happens if we have a, a driver win a race in the playoffs and gets uh, you know disqualified? Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting situation that the, NASCAR does have to deal with. Their, their policy is they never take wins away from a driver, uh, but the unencumbered things means they will take some points away from you. And it's just going to be uh, – it's, it's a slippery slope they're, they're going down right now. Uh, back to the IndyCar thing, I think uh, we talked a little bit about Joseph Newgarden um in his first year at Penske um you know whereas whereas other Penske drivers have kind of struggled to find their place in in that organization as far as being competitive for a championship he was one i think last year that we looked at um as someone who 
we all thought could contend for a championship in a Penske car um, and has been very, very good this year. Um, of course, and then you have the kind of Scott Dixon playing the KG veteran uh, in that equation. Um, what you know, as far as a prediction, or obviously it's difficult to predict going out to Sonoma. Um, you know, really tricky road course. What are we What are we looking for with that race? I think that's going to be for me. That's the race I'm I'm definitely planning on watching this weekend. Well, that. But you've also got uh, Helio Castro Neves. I think there's going to be a lot of fan uh, favorite going on there. Sure. And he's 22 points back in third, and probably the only other one that has a legitimate shot at uh, you know topping both of these guys. Uh, I kind of like the veteran uh, Dixon, but on the other hand, you've got four Penske drivers right now sitting one, three, four, and five in the standings. Uh, there'll be a little uh, team uh, team play going on out there. So uh, Dixon's not just fighting Newgarden; he's going to be fighting the whole Penske operation. Jimmy, are you planning on watching the race this weekend? Yeah, I am. I'm uh, looking forward to it. I mean, I've got a couple couple things I'm going to be be working on myself, but uh, but yeah, what plan you, on having it on in the what, background. What, what you're doing? Uh, I am going to be uh, doing the the head gaskets on a <laughs> certain 2000 Subaru 2.5 RS Impreza. So real potheads are going to remember that uh, Jimmy used to uh, race a Mazda 323 GTX rally car. He has, since his last appearance on the podcast, uh, given that car up, uh, run it through an industrial shredder. Um, Not true. true. Oh, he didn't? It's under a blanket. It's Same thing. It's (laughs) under a blanket and switched to a Subaru 2.5 RS uh, with the idea that it'll be easier to run, more reliable, and easier to find parts for. Is that pretty much? Yeah, that's pretty much the the gist. I mean, they're... It runs in what's called the open light class. In what now? Sorry, I didn't mention that. In an open light class. Yeah, yeah. But in, means in what? Uh, in what are we talking about here? In rally, state American stage rally. So right. it's a non-turbocharged all-wheel drive car. Um, you know, and they're they're cars that a lot of people have run and developed. So there are parts available. Everything. Everything's been broken before, so and there are a lot of people that know what they're talking about, which makes it a really nice uh, way to, to just kind of ease into that class. Whereas with the Mazda, uh, it was a, a a customized vintage rally car, which means that it's those know, all, all those things are bad for yeah, repairs. All of those, customized all vintage of those and rally car, those in rally and car, <laughs> yeah, all especially bad. together, not a not a good combination. So, I mean, it was a great little car, a lot of fun, and Really cool, just because it's it's a rare thing. Um, but uh, I think the Subaru will be a lot of fun. So, what were you running against before, and what will you be running against now? <laughs> so, technically, as the classes go, the the Mazda was actually open class. So, technically, we were in the same class as the factory Subaru cars. Oh, uh, so you won all the time, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were just uh, you know too dominant. I think. Is, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's why it got too rid of dominant the cars. to race. Too easy. Know. Yeah, exactly. We had a Subaru sweating there. So, um, but realistically, that car was competing, even though it was technically in a higher class. Um, it was realistically competing against the open light cars, how horsepower wise. So now we're actually going to be in the correct class, uh, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun racing cars that are equal that you could maybe win beat. Yeah, what's cool about open light is that it's you know relatively easy to do you know and i say that 
you know, with a, take that with a grain of salt because it's still rally and you're still having to build your car. But all of the cars are very similar. So a lot of the horsepower numbers are, if not the same, very close. Mm. And it's all about just trimming as much weight off the car as possible and then um, keeping your foot down on the, on the gas pedal. That should be good. Uh, so, Jake, you're watching the race, too, this weekend, I assume. Uh, Sonoma's like one of my favorite tracks in the States. Um, you did it. some open wheel. You did open wheel school I, out I, there, I right? Did, I actually did open wheel school at Sonoma. Nice. Yeah, it was F3 school. Um, it was probably the one of the coolest things I've ever done here, if not the coolest. Um, it was like a three-day intensive uh, open wheel thing. They had, um, I believe they were uh, Mitsubishi Evo-powered uh, yep. cars, but tuned down. They weren't 300 horsepower. They were like 200, I think, for the school or maybe even less. Uh, but, you know, no weight, so they felt super fast. Um uh, manual, no power, anything, you know, super hard brake, super hard to steer. Uh, one of the hardest exercises we did was this, this kidney bean exercise where instead of a figure eight, you kind of do a kidney bean, uh, formation using, uh, the brakes and the gas to transfer weight back and forth to, to make around those tight corners. And then by day three, we were just going full out laps, uh, with slicks on Sonoma, which is, um, seems like a, it is a very difficult track, but uh, but once you learn it, it's not as scary, I think, as it seems. Uh, I think that turn one, two, or three, it's kind of like a rising left to right hander, and it's you can't see anything, and it, it seems kind of scary because you're at you're going full blast up the hill. But it's extremely scary. Um, if you stay on the inside and then you come out and look what you're supposed to look at, which I forgot what it was. It was a tree or an outhouse or something. You know, there's all those those visual cues that you're supposed to look for when you're coming over the hill. Um, I you know never put it off track or anything like that, and. And the layout's great, and I'm not sure. There's a couple different layouts for Sonoma, so I'm not exactly sure which layout they're using. But um, so what what great. tips and tricks can you give to sure, yeah, a, of a course, garden. yeah, no, I can. Or I can a Scott that. Dixon, yeah, let them uh, let them know. So if they're doing the uh, if you're listening to this right now, there's like the hairpin hairpin, and then there's kind of like the flared hairpin that they do. Um, I think the indie guys do the full hairpin, but so uh, uh, coming around onto the front straight, flat out through the front, and basically, I mean, I, I couldn't do this because I was not brave enough, but I'm assuming these guys will. Flat out through, like, one, two, and then up into the, I think it's three, which kind of goes right. So so that, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, Scott Dixon or mm-hmm. Joseph Newgarden, that a pretty cogent uh, race strategy, I think, uh, as far as just do exactly what Jake said yeah. there. The back uh, chicane, the back <laughs> chicane is quite you dangerous. Should be, it should yeah. be fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, you should be fine. Um, awesome track, though. It's going to be a great race. Stay flat. Is that what you're saying? So looking you know, uh, beyond the immediate action that we have coming up this weekend, uh, racing, a little trouble on the horizon for a couple of our friends, uh, mm. first of which I think would be uh, the WEC World Endurance Championship, who seems to be without uh, an LMP1 competitor next year, uh, unless Toyota is going to run by themselves. Um, what are you hearing about that? I, it would be such a shame. You know, the the history of that, um, not just at Le Mans, but really creating some great racing around the world um, and giving people an opportunity to see cars that, that run at Le Mans, see cars that compete for, for overall wins at Le Mans on some of the great tracks in the world. Um, looking very possible that that's, that's not going to be happening. Uh, what do you hear, Mike? Well, the WEC, uh, we, we know it, we lo- they lost uh, Audi last year. Uh, this year, Porsche says they're not coming back. 
so that does leave Toyota as the one manufacturer in, L- in the LMP1 class, and that's the Hollywood class in that series. Uh, uh, I was at Le Mans this year in the LMP2 car of uh, Jackie Chan Racing. Yes, that Jackie Chan mm-hmm. uh, nearly won the race and you know led it late uh, before uh, you know the LMP1 uh, of Porsche won it. And, and amazingly, in the newspapers the next day, I grabbed a few on the way out. Um, it was very hard to find much uh, coverage of the LMP2 car. I mean, it's it's all LMP1. They are the rock stars. And the, the concern is, if we don't get some more LMP1 uh, you know, com- competition out there, an LMP2 car is going to win you know, Le Mans or frankly, any WEC race. Yeah. And they say that's going to be, that would just be an incredibly blo- an incredible blow to that series. So anyway, to this end, uh, WEC this week, uh, they came out with a super season schedule. Uh, they're, they're trying anything they can do to attract uh, some teams to the LMP1 uh, program and specifically trying to keep Toyota in. Uh, they figure they can get Toyota, five or six privateers, and at least have an, a, an LMP1 class that can stave off these LMP2s. And now the, uh, uh, the super season, uh, as it's designed right now, is going to be a year-and-a-half-long season, starting with uh, Spa uh, coming up in 2018. And uh, it's going to run uh, through Le- to Le Mans, actually. We're going to have two Le Mans in the same season. Uh, and that, that the Le Mans 2019 would actually end that, uh, that super season which is interesting, but I don't know if that saves the series um, because you got right now a team that wants to run Le Mans traditionally is going to run the race before Le Mans. So with this super season now being a year and a half long, it's still only eight races. But their thought is, oh, hey, everybody's going to run the race before Le Mans and Le Mans. Okay, now you've got committed to four, to four races out of the eight. Maybe we can talk you into sticking for the rest of the series. Um, mm-hmm. That's the thought because right now Toyota – since they had no competition in that LMP1 class, had hinted that they were only going to run Le Mans and maybe one or two other races next year, and they're really fearing for that class. Well, that's the thing I think I was reading in Cole Smith's story, uh, that there's no upside for Toyota. If they win, they're LMP1, they should win. But if they lose, then they look silly. Because yeah, and, like and they better beat those privateer teams. So yeah, Playing the that. junior varsity team. Right, so <laughs> so what's the up? You know, it's like a college team playing a pro team. What's the upside? Yeah. You know, well, and I think that's, that's what's so... Like I, it's it's really sad because I mean a couple of years ago you had like that was, you know in my opinion that was some of the best racing that was going on. Sure. I mean it was far better than Formula One, um, IndyCar, um, WRC, any other major world class series, and like some of those races with the battles going on between Audi and Porsche Peugeot. and Toyota. Remember Peugeot for a couple of years? Yeah. Those diesel cars were great. The Peugeots were awesome. But um, but for a while, like, that was the, the top class racing and the best racing out there. And it was really cool to see the competing technologies in the different cars, which is what the regulations were designed to do. But then to see it all, because basically what's happening, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Porsche and Audi just got... Well, aside from maybe a couple background financial issues, uh, they uh, basically got outregulated. Is that right? Yeah, but I think also the you know the, the lure of Formula E is real. We can you know laugh at Formula E if we want or poo-poo it, but I think that these manufacturers do want to have a presence in Formula E. And you talked about some of the regulation issues they've had, or, or some of the you know the fines and things that all these companies have been dealing with, or the, the Volkswagen scandal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
you know, you can't you can't be everywhere. And I think Formula E is a legitimate uh, outlet cheap. for these guys. It's, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, it's I mean, very I think cheap. that's the thing is it's cheap, and the 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 money that they were spending on, um, you know, on a top level endurance racing uh, effort is not cheap. Any of those people, but I, I think there's some there's definitely some kind of self flagellation <laughs> going on. The furthest thing from furthest yeah, it's thing like, from cheap. Yeah, it's very expensive. <laughs> uh, there's some self-flagellation going on uh, on the part of VW uh, pulling Porsche and Audi out of there, which is very unfortunate. I don't think, um, you know, I, 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 it's a real shame to see, um, to see to see Porsche and Audi out of uh, top-level uh, motorsport. Um, period. I, I think we can say that they are out of. I mean, with their leaving um, the LMP1 class. VW is effectively not competing in any top level motorsports, uh, which is a shame. Uh, rally, you consider that only rally cross? Yeah, not even rally. Oh, not even WRC, just no. in rally cross. Mm. Um, that's and that's really, you know, I think probably there were forces within uh, VW who were who were wondering why we're spending so much money on motorsport, um, and and maybe this uh, maybe this diesel scandal provided them with the excuse they needed um, to to you know really push that over the the goal line and, and get those things canceled. Um, but I I think that's you know really really not good for motorsports really and really bad from a fan standpoint. Um, and then the the other thing too I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, uh, and I think the one way to save this is. Uh, you know, Roger Penske made overtures to Audi two years ago or a year ago when Audi decided to leave uh, LMP1 at Le Mans. And uh, Roger Penske wanted to, to run um, Audi's cars at Le Mans as a privateer. Uh, and I think that the introduction of, of that possibility, it, it's probably that possibility has come and gone, but. Uh, well, the thing, one thing mentioned, Roger. Roger is getting into IMSA next year. Yep, and it, endurance and, racing. And but here's here's kind of a here's kind of a cool thing for the 2018 uh, this 2018-19 super season schedule. IMSA and the WEC are going to both be at Sebring the same weekend. And the way the schedule works out, the WEC race will kick off at midnight. I mean, it's it's a neat schedule. They're gonna wow. they're gonna run the uh, the twelve hours of Sebring from ten a.m. to ten p.m. and two hours later kick off the twenty four hour uh, WC race. And uh, I think that's gonna be uh, incredible. It's gonna be a long weekend of racing for those yeah. fans. Yeah, I guess that's a twelve hour uh, WC race, but it's still gonna be you know. Uh, so you're looking at twenty some hours of racing. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's only twenty. Maybe it's yeah. thirty six. But but anyway, they're gonna start the WC race at midnight. Uh, which again, the fans are going to love that. I mean, like campers and stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be a great spectacle. But the key here is, you know, you're you're getting this. There's this IMSA and WEC. They're running kind of parallel right now. Yeah. There's going to be some connection sometime. Yeah. You'd, and, you'd have and, to think. Yeah, because this WEC schedule is too small. You know, eight races is too small. You know, there's going to have to be a merger of some sort somehow for these endurance races. Yeah, if we could, could see cool. the Cadillac, the Mazda, Acura, these guys, you know, these these teams that are running IMSA go into the LMP1 class or, 
or merge well, classes. They wouldn't. Yeah, you'd merge series essentially. You would merge series and find a way to get the. You know, <laughs> Which, do you know? Just as IMSA is starting to make sense of its current class structure, <laughs> yeah. add another twenty teams. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They finally got it pared down to <laughs> yeah. where it's understandable, and you know the fans are starting to get it. Gonna, like, they, they guess change. what? Yeah. Now but, there are four uh, four different classes of Porsche 911s running. Guess, just try to figure out which one is which. Now, how, Three wasn't enough. Yeah. How different, Mike, do you know? You might not know this. How different is the LMP1 class versus IMSA's prototype class? Yeah, that I don't know. And we've it's asked. Vastly you know, I think it's I yeah. think it's vastly different now. But, you know, if you've only. But right now the LMP1 class in WEC is one manufacturer team right. and some privateers. Right. So right. it's pretty so. easy to change the rules <laughs> yeah, right now. Yeah. But, you know, you're not going to get a lot of pushback here. Yeah, I so, think. I but think the uh, all one teams complain. From my from my understanding, the the actually the the prototypes line up more with the LMP twos. Yeah. Okay. Well, the so, difference okay. being LMP twos are basically a spec class, right? So the the cars are are mostly the same. I think there are two suppliers, and then there is a single engine supplier, which is Gibson. Also interesting to note that this uh, new uh, look WEC uh, no longer is going to have Coda in it on the schedule. Yeah, uh, mm. Circuit of Americas is leaving, or not leaving, being asked to leave. Uh, and I thought the uh, you know maybe the quote of the week yes. came from <laughs> Gerard Naveau, who's the head of the WEC, when asked about uh, why are you guys going to Sebring instead of Circuit of Americas. And his quote was pretty simple: "It is better than going somewhere where people are not interested." Yeah. You know he. Uh, they just don't feel like they're getting the love uh, at Coda, and and Sebring is obviously a sports car, you know, racing mecca. mecca. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, so it's uh, you know, and, they're, and again, they're going to have the two twelve hours back to back in eighteen. It's going to be fun, and that's that's really cool too to to hear that though, because you also see that in Formula One, right, where they're putting more of an emphasis on going back to traditional tracks in Europe. So I think uh, Germany. And Italy, even Italy had its head on the uh, on the chopping block. Baku, what? classic, <laughs> everybody. Yeah, definitely the the classic. Uh, the classic Azerbaijan, uh, of Azerbaijan. Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, Germany, France. Yeah. Um, but so. the WEC is walking away from Silverstone and the Nurburgring also with their new schedule. So this is a series that's truly trying to find its way right now. It's clear that. And they're doing everything they can to try to attract somebody, even if it's just keeping the ones they have. So here's an interesting... So uh, WEC, if I remember correctly, uh, IMSA is currently being run by Scott Atherton, who previously was behind the formation of WEC, if I remember I think he correctly. was involved with that, yeah. yeah. So, he's, so there, there's a lot of connections here, whether they're loose or there's strong. About, there's or, about 100 guys yeah. who work in sports car racing and, internationally. And, you know, he, you keep you mentioned earlier Penske. I mean, Roger Penske's 80 years old. Yeah. If he's going to make a move to run in Le Mans, it's got to happen now. Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't be shocked to see something happen, you know, with that in next the next year years, next yeah. year or two. Yeah. I mean, it's got to happen now. Well, and I, and I if think, anybody can make it happen, it's Roger Penske. And I think that that was kind of, you know, obviously a Hail Mary throw for him to look into getting the Audis uh to get a hold of that squad as a privateer team. Uh that was kind of a hey, let's go to Le Mans and try to win. Uh and then when with that falling apart, now this move to get to Acura, get into that prototype class. Um Certainly is a step in that direction. Um, man, that would be great to see. So. Yeah, I haven't seen anything on the record from Roger saying, I want to go back to Lamar, but I've seen a lot of hints. And I, so, yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, it, it looks like it's going to happen. I mean, and the fact, too, now with his IMSA team, 
you know, he's got to have Juan Pablo Matoya. He's going to have Elio Castro Neves. He's got some star power in that cockpit yep. that Lamar would love to have. The For WEC sure. would love to have part of that action. Yep. And it's a built-in way of maybe getting some more American interest into those uh, into that series. Yeah. So, uh, from one floundering uh, situation with an unclear future, uh, let's get grounded and talk about uh, McLaren-Honda, <laughs> with wow. the, where the future is... Much more the most grounded team in Formula One. Right yeah. Now. Well, I, I think you know, something. I, I think that I, you know the team is all great and all fun and all that kind of stuff to talk. But Fernando Alonso is what everything is circled around. Yeah. Here you've got arguably one of the most popular drivers in the world who is losing. Uh, you know, he's losing a little uh, place in history with every uh, week he goes out there and finishes twentieth. Right. Um, it's been a tough three years for him with that McLaren Honda outfit. Uh, McLaren is, you know, doing everything they can to keep him in the fold. There's been talk about, you know, scrapping Honda and going with a, you know, cutting a deal with another engine manufacturer as a customer deal and all that. Ultimately, that still doesn't get Fernando Alonso any closer to victory lane. He's not going to win as a second tier, you know, it's a, you know, customer to for, for, get a Ferrari or a second tier uh, Mercedes engine. Uh, so I think that's just not happening. All three of the big teams that can win right now, Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull, are all locked up for next year. Um, the thing about Alonso, he has spent the last year saying, I'm not coming back to Formula One unless I can get in a car that can win. Right. Well, he's not going to be in a car that can win. So, so now it's kind of he's kind of backed himself into a corner. They call this bluff. Yeah, and now and <laughs> like, now and now yeah. you know. Frankly, if he you know if he if he's true to his word, you know where he's going next year. He's IndyCar. going to IndyCar. Yeah, for sure. And we've done some homework on that, and there are two IndyCar teams very interested in him, interested in his services. And that's who are the, they? Well, the Andretti uh, Autosport team that he right. ran for at Indy, they would love to have him come over and try sure. to run a full season, you know, a la Nigel Mansell. You win a you know, F1 championship, come over here and be a star. Yeah. Uh, and he would be a star. We saw him at Indianapolis. He was a, a Pied Piper out there to, for the media yeah, and the fans. Sure. Yeah. It's perfect fit. Now, and the other team was, is, uh, is Ganassi Racing. Who's trying to make some inroads and get back into that top? Uh, you know, they want to they want to be up there with with Penske and all that, and they think a, a team of Dix, Dixon and uh, and Alonso would be awesome. For sure. And, and actually, uh, McLaren came to Ganassi first last year. Uh, when to, uh, they approached Ganassi about the Indy 500 deal, and uh, it just didn't work for Ganassi, whether it was sponsorship wise or car, whatever the deal details were. And Andretti just ended up being a better fit and turned out to be a great fit. Um, but uh, Ganassi has come out and said he'd be more than happy to entertain those talks again and see what's going on. Now the you know the clock is ticking. Uh, these rides are, are getting you know obviously they're all, almost all gone in F1. Uh, now IndyCar is getting ready to start their silly, silly season after the race at Sonoma here next week, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Alonso ultimately does. I think if he sticks with a, a McLaren. Or there's been talk that oh Renault or maybe Williams will take him on. Those teams are no closer to winning than, than he's at right now. No, I mean he's if he wants to argue if he wants to win races he's got to go. Teams. To, he's got to go to IndyCar. Yeah. He's not going to get on those. You know, so the other three teams are gone. Well, yeah. and I think the big the big hail Mary for Alonso is I mean none of the big big teams want him because his he has made those career choices, <laughs> um, and then uh, is for McLaren to go to a Renault engine. Uh, which is, I believe, is still on the table and that they're looking at. But, you know, basically the, the Hail Mary is that the McLaren car is as good as McLaren wants everyone to believe it is. 
and just they're down on power. And that they're just down on the power. Now the Renault isn't exactly the powerhouse of the field, <laughs> right. but it definitely is <laughs> no one. compared to the to the Honda engine. So if yeah, somehow but, Renault yeah. can get their uh, but Alonso doesn't want a car that's going to finish fifth and sixth. He wants to be on the top rung of that podium. Sure. In that car, there's nothing to say it's going to happen with it, with Renault or or any of these other outfits. Um, again, I think he's backed himself into a corner, and he's almost going to have to go to IndyCar or, you know, ride out the ride out the, his career as a, as a back marker. And I don't think he wants to do that. Uh, I I would agree with that. I so I have another question. Um, the fate of uh, former Auto Week intern Connor Daly. Uh, he is is looking at uh, getting back into a, a seat next year with Foyt. Um, I've not heard much in the way of a commitment from that organization about what his future is. Uh, what's your What's your prognosis? He's someone who, who has not been competitive, has had a couple good drives this year, but who IndyCar loves to lean on as far as a personality to get out and do social media and meet with fans and, and all that stuff. He's been great there. Um, well, I don't know if he ends up at Foyt, but I know he's not going to end up at American Ninja Warrior. Uh, no, he was awful. No, that just didn't work out. Yeah. That was uh, well, that, he, a nice try. Didn't have the length, know. I think. No, yeah. there was there was something missing there. It, yeah. That was kind of sad. It was kind of embarrassing after he said, I just want to be the best out of the race car drivers. I don't care about the rest of the ninjas. And then he failed in the first event, right? It was the first. Oh, I, the first yeah, uh, I'm not sure he got through the first obstacle. Yeah, the first, a, the first obstacle, yeah. Yeah, it was, so. um, yeah. I mean, I, I think... He, he certainly among auto week former auto week interns was probably the best ninja warrior competitor and and probably ever. the best and probably the best indycar driver among former yeah. interns we've had i, no, I, I mean, think you're right yeah i mean he's probably right up there yeah he's definitely up there if not he, the best yeah he's, he's up there yeah. i mean what do we have like five or six in indycar right now yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, four yeah. something yeah. like that we we yeah uh, yeah, we're, we're the cradle of uh, IndyCar drivers. Yeah, so but well, I'll be interested to see where he ends up next year. Um, somebody who you know easy to root for, um, and like I said, who's put together some some very impressive performances. He's some bad luck this year too, but um, I think more than more than held his own and more than made a case for himself as someone who deserves to to spend more time in an IndyCar seat. Um, yeah, the silly, the silly season in IndyCar really will start, you know, after next week's race. So, yeah. and, and it's going to start up and uh, pretty quickly because there's there's going to be some rides available as there always are, and we'll see who how it all shakes out. But Connor's going to be in a ride. I mean, I think that's yeah. pretty pretty clear. And and he's and like you say, he has earned it. He was almost better as a part time driver last year, maybe than when he was this year. But sure. but he had he had some good drives, and I think uh, you know given the right circumstances, he's going to be fine. And we do have you know. Uh, Castro Neves is leaving the series. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are some. There's going to be some openings, some, some new blood coming in, and he's going to be right in that mix. Cool. We're going to wrap up talking about motorsports here. Um, actually, not exactly. We have a. Uh, this will be probably the last or one of the last uh, pre-taped interviews that we do. I think. Um, you know, obviously, the podcast thing is something we're learning how to do and kind of experimenting with. Um, we're finding it's difficult to get. Um, really good interviews recorded of was significantly uh or or close to the audio quality that we'd like to see on this um we are going to do more uh in studio interviews with some of these people um the types of people we've had on on the show already um and and work on maybe a system to get some some uh pre-recorded interviews back looped in in the future but i think uh, for the time being, this is uh, this is probably going to be the last one. Um, but 
a really really good one um we uh just were t- we're talking about mclaren um and i think uh you know obviously that's a name that you know didn't come out of nowhere but if you look at the kind of uh if you look at the the manufacturers who have um 100 year racing pedigrees like the ferraris and uh you know maybe aston martin porsche those types of companies um mclaren uh came late to the scene uh founded by bruce mclaren and really became uh you know from the the 60s until the present day uh one of the you know one of the top names in motorsport um and now one of the top names in road cars um but you know that's a that's a story i think that um could use the the same kind of uh mythologizing a little bit or or uh, at least recounting um as as any of the other ones so um to that end we have um an interview with Roger Donaldson who's from New Zealand as was uh Bruce McLaren uh he is a, a director who who you may know from such films as The World's Fastest Indian uh, Species, Species, you remember that movie? Species, yeah. With, what's her name, Hendrickson? The, one of the first, never mind. Uh, one of the first movies that I saw. I seem, to, I seem to remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I seem to remember certain very, parts of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I have a know. very distinct memory a, yeah, uh, yeah. of uh, fast-forwarding <laughs> and rewinding uh, that movie. Uh, Dante's Peak. Uh, remember it was a, a volcano movie with James Bond, uh, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, mm. Kind of a strange, strange disaster film. I remember watching that one. Uh, Cocktail with oh, okay. uh, that's a winner. One of the better known Scientologists, uh, Tom Cruise. Um, anyway, so a guy who has a, a very um, broad and long Hollywood career. Um, Choosing to to dip back into, I say dip back into because of the world's fastest Indian, which is a, a pretty good movie about Burt Monroe uh, taking a, an Indian motorcycle to the Bonneville Salt Flats. Um, and I think actually Donaldson's first movie was a documentary about Burt Monroe, a short documentary. Um, and he revisited that with the Anthony Hopkins movie. Anyway, uh, he's now uh, got a, a fantastic documentary um, about Bruce McLaren. Um I haven't seen it. I think someone in this room has seen it. Jimmy, was that you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wesley and I went and saw it, um, and it's it's really good. I mean, it, it covers uh, Bruce's entire life, and it really focuses on who Bruce McLaren was and the people around him. So, um, you know, growing up in New Zealand and battling against um, several health issues to then become one of the most influential race car drivers and builders uh, ever. Um, it's, and it chronicles his career coming up, you know, starting with the, the T45 Cooper Climax, um, going through Can-Am, Formula One, and then also with his uh, untimely death at Goodwood. Yep. Um, but it's a well-done well done documentary, and... Um, I definitely recommend it for anyone who is interested in motorsports history. Yeah, so it, you know, as far as one to kind of close out our pre-taped interview format, uh, this is a really good one. Um, so we're going to cut to that interview now, and we will rejoin you on the other end. 
So what can we tell you, Robin? Well, uh, so you are uh, Roger Donaldson. You are the yep. director of many, actually, major films here. And uh, if you'll, if you don't mind, I'll just list a couple: uh, Dante's Peak, uh, Cadillac Man, Cocktail, um, The Recruit, The Bank Job, and then, of course, uh, one of my all-time favorites: uh, The World's Fastest Indian. Well, thank you. And uh, and then you just recently made the documentary about uh, McLaren, Bruce McLaren yep. the man. Yep. Yep. So, the McLaren story. I it's it's a wonderful story, and of course, being New Zealand is a, is an important part. But what what specifically drew you to Bruce McLaren compared to many of his other contemporaries? Who? Well, I think you know. First of all, you know Bruce McLaren. Few people. You really know why McLaren's called McLaren, and that it had its origins in New Zealand, and that the logo was is a Kiwi. And uh, even you know a lot of people in most of the, most of New Zealand wouldn't have had a clue about you know why, uh, McLaren's association with New Zealand. And um, so I you know and I did know that, and so I was sure. sort of that in itself. You know I think the fact that Bruce died such an untimely death at the age of 32 was. And yet the the car company went on with the sort of inspiration that he'd inspired and the people who uh, who worked with him and for him um, kept going and went on to, you know, bigger and greater things. Um, you know, I think all of those things sort of added up together. You know, I love the cars that they're building now. You know, I know they're having a tough time in Formula One, but I'm sure they'll be back because they're a very determined company. This is true, um, yeah. And, yeah, and... and, and virtually everyone associates the vast majority of their troubles with their engine builder Honda yeah. not with the McLaren team itself and uh so that that's definitely true um was there was there any particular inspiration that drove you to McLaren like did you find yourself more interested in his Can-Am racing or his Formula 1 racing or his stints in IndyCar was there well, any particular I, you thing? know I think I you know for me you know as a filmmaker and a storyteller the whole you know from his Origins back in New Zealand when he was, you know, a boy and he was in, you know, wheelchair, well, not wheelchair bound, but, you know, bedridden because of his yes, disability, of his condition, with yeah. his Perthes disease, you know, and his dad's passion for motorcycle and car racing, you know, I think I was attracted to the story because, you know, the father-son relationship to me seemed very important. Um, you know, he went off, off to... Uh, Find his fame and fortune in England, and took some of his, you know, good friends from New Zealand along with him for the ride. They sort of stuck with him, and they all spoke really. You know, I was lucky enough to be able to get to to talk to the key ones who were still, you know, very passionate about their relationship with Bruce, and I think that became sort of the backbone of the film. Plus, yeah. Bruce's sister, who, you know, younger sister, who uh, Jen McLaren, who. Um, you know, has sort of uh, devoted a life really to the legacy of Bruce and preserving it. And so there was there was some really good, strong New Zealand-based um, subjects to pin the pin the story on. And he Bruce wasn't poor. I don't think it's fair to say, but he certainly was not wealthy either. No, I mean, he, no. I think he, uh, you know, he was starting to make some money, but I think. He had big ambitions when he was when he died, you know, around the time he died. You know, he was determined he was going to succeed at uh, Indianapolis 500. Uh, that first effort they went there, you know, they even thought they would have been more successful and probably would have if the car hadn't have caught fire. 
Mm. I think, uh, you know, Denny Holm was, you know, a very talented driver who was quite, quite capable of, you know, getting that car up near the front of the grid and it was capable of doing that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, you know, there was... He, he just, you know, after having sort of such a, a charmed life, he got hit with a whole lot of bad luck that ultimately transpired at the end to get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it was interesting how the film kind of made that point that, more and more, it seemed like he got in the car reluctantly, and it was yeah. I think he, more for the I don't think it was because he was necessarily himself. scared of the car. I think it was more he had ambitions that he, you know, there were other younger drivers that he could, you know, he. I think he, you know, people like um, Howden Ganley, you know, mm. um, Howden, you know, who was a New Zealand Formula One driver ultimately, um, who worked building cars for him. You know, he there were young drivers like that that I think Bruce saw as, as having a future with the McLaren car company. Yeah. And did you get um, any inspiration or ideas or anything from uh, Ron Howard's movie he recently did, Rush? Or... I did see Rush and I liked it a lot, but I, I, I think, you know, I don't... I mean... I loved Rush, so I'm not saying anything anything other than I loved Rush. But I, it, it wasn't. I didn't see it as something that was. What I was doing, I felt, was very different, just because it was based on you know documentary footage and um, and then these tapes that Bruce had recorded and sent home to his family that were very personal and oh, intimate. Yeah. And that was a very cool part of the movie. To, so they to so things. that it had a very different sort of. Um, I mean, Rush seemed to me it was a story about you know two antagonistic, you know, guys against each other trying to dominate um, Jay, and Nicky Lauda and James Hunt, you know, whereas this wasn't again, this wasn't really about, I didn't see my film necessarily about the competition, I saw more about the the relationships and the friendships that he had built along the way to get where he got. Certainly. Yeah, and there were, you know, the tiny little tie-ins here and there that, you know, James Hunt was actually in a McLaren and, yep. and uh, things like that, but uh, there was also, it came out the same year, uh, Paul Crowder's movie documentary called One, which actually... You know, I've never seen that film. Ah, okay, I know, yeah. I know cause... that sounds weird, but I haven't. <laughs> hey, I mean, you're too busy making them to watch them all. Uh, you know, his, his documentary is more broad-sweeping than uh, yeah. the feature film Rush, but um, spent also a fair amount of time on the Nicky Lauda-James Hunt era and their battle and... I'm not trying that those eras are not the same, but it was, you know, those kind of started abutting the towards the end of McLaren's era where the beginning of these guys. And, uh, I didn't know if that played any role, but, uh, no, in fact, there was another film that I was trying to make that never got off the ground. I was trying to do a film about Enzo Ferrari mm. and, uh, you know, I went to, um, I went to the Ferrari factory and met, uh, um, his, his son, Pietro and, you know, we had a good script, but we never could get it off the ground. And then the producers, the producer died, and so it sort of died an untimely death. The movie, but mm. um, that was that was the closest I'd come to doing something before this in the in the car world. I see. I see. Well, uh, I thought it was very touching too that you were including stories about, um, you know, uh, Bruce McLaren's wife. And uh, and uh, again, other family members. Um, but I was I was curious, and I you'll have I'm being careful here because I don't know too many yeah. of the facts. But the 
Bruce and his wife, they had a, a daughter, correct? They do, yeah. Did it, did, did, did Amanda the, works for the, um, for the McLaren car company. Did it, was there any interest in having her be a part of the film? Or did well, I did, I did interview her, but, you know, one of the, the hardest things about making a movie where you've got a lot of sort of different storylines and a lot of different people's perspectives on it. You know, Amanda only remembers her father really from her relationship with her grandparents. And so uh, what she had to tell didn't really add. There was no information that was coming out of her that was adding to anything for, that the other people weren't saying from first-hand experience. I see, and yeah. So, so, you know, it was one of those hard decisions about what do you put in the film, what do you leave out? Right, yeah, I understand. Because it, 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 there's that and, tough decision-making about uh, keeping keeping the story tight and concise so that people follow Yeah, along. I mean, we had some great footage. I mean, I went to uh, Goodwood and we filmed uh, Amanda in that uh, McLaren, you know, M6 GT. She drove it around the race, you know, around Goodwood at the Festival of Speed, I think it was, or uh, one of those. Yeah, at the, but at the motor circuit. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, it was things like that. You know, like, oh, God, can't we find some way to put it in? But I, you know, we just <laughs> right. couldn't come up with an idea that would sort of in, allow it to be in the film without it just going off sideways, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand. That's a, that's a, I imagine it, uh, you know, difficult on, because there are probably moments where various people really want something to be included in the film or definitely do not want something to be in the film, but that yeah. detracts from your creative vision of what it no, should No, I mean, be. that's, that, you know, it's hard, it's hard, you know, there are a number of people who, you know, gave us fantastic interviews, but the interviews just didn't quite play into the sort of how the movie was coming together, which was, you know, really sort of from Bruce and the guys who were really close to him who were there from the beginning, their stories, you know. What about the, um, the legacy of what the McLaren company has become, McLaren Automotive, the supercars, you know, obviously um, Ron Dennis went on to play a huge role in McLaren. Was there any compulsion to include any of the McLaren's legacy going into the future, or was that just kind of... Well, only really only in that, you know, a sort of a sum up that, you know, the, the when Bruce died, there was the determination from those around him to keep the company going and not just let it fold. And then, you know, I mean, people like Ron Dennis are part of that story, but they're not, the, you know, they weren't the people who at the time kept it going. He came in later and, you know, once they'd sort of, you know, established that they were a viable race car um, company after Bruce's demise, you know, a couple of few, I mean, I don't know how many years later Ron Dennis came on board, but it was a few years later. Yeah, I... I... Boy, I, I think it was right around 1980. So, uh, yeah. So Bruce died in '72. So right, that's quite right. A, so it would have been. It wouldn't be wouldn't and, be over and, and really the, life. Yeah, I mean, the, what I was trying to do was to the stories about Bruce, you know, and the story sort of finishes when Bruce dies. But there's obviously, you know, you want to remind everybody that unless there was this present-day McLaren car company and the, what they've done since Bruce's demise. There wouldn't be, you know, he would have been just another, you know, great race car driver who was killed back in the 60s, of which there were many. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of the fascinating tie-in. Uh, the 1976 season with James Hunt and Nicky Lauda was the first season and I think, over a decade where a driver did not die. Wow. And uh, so it's... it's it, it, I mean, I know when I went to Jackie Stewart's home, you know, out in the country in England, he had all of these benches 
strewn around his well, you know, placed around his quite large, you know, estate. And the name on the back on the back of every bench is a race car driver that he'd raced against who'd been killed. And I think there was something oh, wow. like fifty six. Oh, jeez, that's just yeah, that's tough. And then you know, after Bruce's death, you know, they had once again, you know, it was one of those stories that I sort of grappled with whether it could go in or not. But after Bruce's and Bruce's death, and um, I think uh, Pierre Courage. They were both killed in a very short period of time. Together, they had a all the all the Formula One drivers got together at the Dorchester Hotel. In um, in fact, it was after the St Paul's Cathedral um, commemoration for Bruce's um, passing that they all got together and had this meeting about you know what they were going to do about safety and that you know, enough's enough sort of thing. And they collectively said that they wouldn't uh, race at, uh, at the um, Nürburgring. Oh, no kidding. That was the... Until they fixed it up and made it safer. Which, yeah, they, they basically could not do. And so now there's just the, the Sudschleife, just the short track abutting the original. So, yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's, it, it is an amazing story and it is, it is a, it is a great, um, appeal to just the human element of what automotive racing is. You know, there's a machismo that gets put onto racing all too often, and I think it's uh, always valuable to reconnect the human element uh, yeah. to it, and uh, you know, and to remind everyone that uh, you know New Zealand has produced quite a few memorable, great drivers. And uh, as an interesting um, kind of circling back, uh, as Scott Dixon. Uh, had a horrific accident in this, oh my god I was watching it live 500 yeah yeah and I uh, couldn't believe it I couldn't believe he walked away from that one I interviewed him myself uh, a week later at the Detroit Grand Prix and his ankle was a bit hurt and that was it you know and it's wow. just kind of an wow. amazing thing I by the way I've, I've interviewed Scott Dixon a couple of times fantastic individual stand-up guy yeah, yeah and so an excellent yet another excellent example of a kiwi so yeah no no he's he does his country proud he quite so and you know four times over indycar champion um, yeah. amongst other things yeah so um it was it was a I, I fully recommend the movie it was fantastic to watch um is there any is there any takeaway that uh, you would like um, our uh, podcast listeners to know about from the movie Claire. What what is the what is the essence you feel they should take away from it? Well, you know, I, I, what what do I take away from it? What I took away from it was just the um, the the camaraderie that these young guys created when they were off there together in the UK. What a great time they had together! You know, flatting together. You know. Um, and that, you know, this many years later, they're still, you know, brought to tears when they talk about Bruce. Yeah, 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 that was evident. It was a close friendship that uh, never went away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Roger, I just, again, really appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. And uh, appreciate uh, appreciate uh, having the opportunity to learn a little bit more about uh, you and why you made the movie you made and uh, to talk a little bit about your amazing film career. And uh, I can't wait to learn about the next Kiwi that I should have known about in the racing world. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, Great to talk with you. Yes, and to you. Bye.
All right, we're back. Oh, Ooh, oh, man. Oh, wow. Wow. What an interview. We're, uh, what, wow. a, what, what a movie. Hey, yeah. McLaren, he's something. Yep. So uh, back from the, the interview, uh, we did want to talk a little bit about our refresh, redesign, whatever you want to call it, um, that should be in your mailboxes roughly as of this recording. Uh, so probably this weekend. Depending on when, when are they going to hear this, Wesley? Uh, they hear, well, I don't know because they're podcasts, but it will be live on Friday. When's the, the soonest they could hear it? Friday around noonish, Friday the 9th, September That's 9th. tomorrow, yeah. Yeah. So, so they could theoretically hear this before they get home and see the mailbox or afterwards. Yeah. Depending they could listen to this while reading the magazine. Or, or both. You could listen to it before and then listen to it again after for hidden meanings and uh, secret messages. Also, if you play that. it backwards, there is a hidden message. Yeah. Uh, don't do that. The, uh, so the issue you may or may not have, uh, fully redesigned, we kind of teased it on the last podcast. We, uh, and the last issue. And in the last issue. Um, but we, uh, we've kind of... Um, you know, over the course, so basically, we we went through uh, around January and started kind of auditing everything that we do at Auto Week. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, the product of that was we made a bunch of process changes, a bunch of kind of structural changes around here, um, and we we started getting to the point where we were recognizing some uh, some things that the current magazine or the the outgoing magazine. Uh, design wasn't doing for us as far as uh, you know the way the logo uh, appeared outside of the context of the magazine on the web and all that stuff. Um, plus, you know, I think I think as we have all kind of acknowledged, um, as great as the the magazine has looked, especially lately, um, it's about five years old. Uh, I think we well actually it's about six almost seven years old now. Um, so it was probably time to look at doing a refresh. Um, so in that process, um, we, you know, we, we brought in some kind of fresh eyes, I think, who have not been working day in and day out on the magazine for the last, for their, you know, however long they've worked here. Some guys, uh, from Magnifico design, which is actually, uh, mm-hmm. one of the partners, real last names is John Magnifico. Uh, which I have made him show me his driver's license before. It is that is his actual name, um, and Will Thomas is the other partner. Um, they came in. We, as a staff, kind of dug into the archives um, and looked at some historical designs for Auto Week, and um, you know some things that we've liked from from previous iterations of the magazine. Uh, all the way to the to the present day, and um, this is what we came up with. What you're holding on to? I was going to say this feels like a complete redesign. I wouldn't say this is like a mid cycle refresh. This is a complete redesign. That's where we started. Was like, oh, let's refresh it a little bit. And yeah, then, yeah. But now, and so you know, I was looking at it this morning in my stack of uh, auto weeks, and it looks a little bit out of place with the new cover and the new and the new look and the new uh, the new font and all that stuff. But I think once uh, you have uh, five ten of these built up, it's going to look really nice. Um, the pictures are, are still just as good as they as they ever were, if not better. Uh, but like the the color coordinated logo, 
I think it's going to be a really cool, uh, the color coordinated, you know, the helmet is going to be a really cool addition to this. And once you have a bunch sitting in a pile, I think it's going to look really cool. Yeah. So what Jake's talking about is, um, one of the things that we weren't super happy with, um, and I, we've been talking about this for a couple of years, but with the current design is that over the course, so we started with Jean Barra's helmet as like a pretty central, uh, piece of our logo. Um, or at least our branding, like in 58. And it's a really cool, it's one of the old, um, I guess you'd say, like, a, um, what's that game where you ride the horses and they hit the ball with the thing? Polo? Polo. <laughs> it's like a polo-style helmet, like from back before they had racing helmets. Yeah, like leather, leather style, yeah, yeah, little, yeah. little visor. With the vi- with uh, goggles. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's a, so Jean Barra um, had, always had a checker, pattern on a helmet like a checkered flag pattern on it and that's like i said that's been our logo or a part of our logo since 58 but over the course of i don't know however many 60 years um it's become you know it's gone through periods where it's been really heavily emphasized and then it's gone through periods where it was not very heavily emphasized um we decided so so the the outgoing issue the the one that you would have got two weeks ago has it on the cover um and everyone i've shown Everybody I've pointed it out to, I always thought it was just a red dot, and it's like right. on the left side, underneath the A of Auto Week, um, it's just a little tiny red spot. Um, and now, it's big. It's uh, surrounded in a in a color uh, block that comes from a color in the photo on the cover of the magazine, um, which will change it with every issue, obviously. Um, and it's printed on what we would call a gumball, so it looks like a racing gumball. Um, it, you'll never see the helmet again without uh, being on on some kind of a racing gumball. Um, but I think it really it's nice to bring back those old touches and those old kind of classic elements of. I'm still I'm still a little bit depressed that we didn't use my idea of putting a <coughs> one twenty uh, fourth of a picture on the uh, binding of each issue, and then at the end of the year you'd have one picture of a naked lady at the at the end. Yeah, actually, ah, yeah, yeah. or a schooner. We yeah. can use a schooner or a schooner. Yeah, we actually <laughs> did talk about that, and um, not the naked lady part, but um, it's for printing reasons. It's very difficult to get that matched up. Um, so the way the way they print and then cut the paper. It's really hard to get that uh, yeah. lined up correctly. So. Next redesign. We'll, we'll Next, try to get that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, or we could do a year in review and publish all 24 well, as a binded. Actually, what you could do, what you could do is line them up. And draw your own image. And draw your own naked lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a DIY naked yeah. lady drawing contest. I yeah. think that's a good idea. And if you want Our to do scooters. that, send them in. Send, us, uh, send in your pictures. We would love to see them. Yep. Also schooners. Especially we we love schooners. Yeah. Um, Not a week. So one of the other things you'll notice too is the logo on the cover is always transparent. Um, that again allows us to to have a, a cover that's going to look a little bit different every time. So that sounds stupid to say on the podcast, but like when you look at it and hold it in your hand, you'll see that the logo just shows whatever color is behind it in the photo. I'm holding mine up now for you to. Yeah. So look, look at Pricing. Uh, it's awesome. It's got it a, it's blue. It's got a picture of a Shelby on the front. And uh, in the Auto Which, Week logo, but, you see blue and white. Two things. Yeah. About that Shelby. You can tell us about the Shelby. That's Is that your Shelby? No. Oh, it's man. Auto Week's X. So Auto Week apparently had two Shelby GT350s in the employee lot that were titled to Auto Week at one point. <laughs> And they're this both last year, right? Yeah, no, they're both gone. 
Uh, and I, yeah, that's, we had a reader reach out and say, hey, uh, I bought it, or my, my parents bought the Shelby back in the day from Auto Week, and we still have it. So on the on the cover, um, it's a really tight shot of the tape stripes on that car um, with an old Auto Week keychain that we used to give out to readers. I think we may be reprinting those. I was going to ask because we've obviously put this on social, as the kids say, or social media, such as the Facebooks and the Instagram. Yeah. And people want the helmet. People want that keychain. Yeah. I would rock the crap out of that keychain, yes. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we're going to look into costs and... All that stuff, but we may be reprinting those um, nice. due, due to popular. I think people also want the Shelby, but yeah, I would like to have the Shelby. Look, look into the cost on that too, Rory. Yeah, if you could. yeah, I, yeah. I love the the Ford Mustang key too, the full metal key, you know, no plastic or anything, with still, but the Mustang logo imprinted on the uh, on the on the silver there, on the chrome there. Yeah, it looks really really cool. Yeah, we uh, anyway. So it's we lost our Mustang, um, but it's still in good hands. But the story is amazing. I mean, when you read the story, it is an amazing story. Um, yeah, these guys, and obviously, you know, it sat for a, a number of years, and then it was brought back to its former glory, and and it looks fantastic. And you know, the the stories like this, where a car brings like a whole family, a generation of families together, is is is. It's super That's what cool. Jake loves like, for. He's a real sentimental guy. Um, real, I, a real family man. Nothing was real, ever passed down to me. If he's a be, real sweet boy. I wish that uh, my mom kept her. So what? She have a sixty-something Mustang, and that she would have kept it and passed it down onto the uh, to the family. That would have been nice. I, I have noticed more Kleenex over on your desk since the the baby, you know, and all that. I mean, you're yeah. a lot more so emotional I, these days. I, I, I think he just has a cold. I am oh, softer okay. uh, emotionally. I am softer. <laughs> uh, so anyway, totally redesigned magazine. I don't know. Um, you know how like obviously uh, a, a visual thing like a magazine does not make for great uh, podcast fodder, but um, you're gonna see some some stuff uh, that changed. Obviously, reemphasis of that helmet, um, and to get a guest column by X. Publisher Dutch Mandel. Yep, uh, people will be happy to see him back. His name back in the mail. Yeah, well, Jake, we, what's the what's the column about? Uh, it's about Jeeps. I don't understand. Strictly, uh, that's not funny. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that joke. Uh, one of the bigger changes, I think one of the things that we're very happy with is we've changed the name of the comp section uh, back to Competition Press. Yeah, here, that's, here, that's here, super here. cool. Yeah, that uh, everyone knows that our, the magazine or that used to be a newspaper and it was called Auto Weekend Competition Press. Uh, yeah, so and that's something that you know, like the helmet over the course of time, we kind of got away from. Um, but I, I think that as we looked into uh, putting that back on the cover too, that would cause some issues that are too stupid to even get into right now uh, with the way our circulation is metered. Uh, hmm. It's very stupid. I want to hear about this at no, some point. It's extremely dumb and you'll be very mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't do that, um, but we did rename the section um, which I think again, good nod to our heritage, uh, and it's a little bit more. It's uh, to me it has a nicer ring than comp. Dude. It's Auto Week. I mean, it, it, you're not going to see a competition press anywhere, you know, any other section of any other magazine or newspaper. Exactly, that's ours. Yep. And um, so, other than that, you'll see we're making some more use of color. Some of the sections get the color from the cover. Some of the sections uh, get get their own uh, color treatment. I think over time you'll see that that will kind of help you navigate your way through the book. Um, 
And other than that, you know, I, I think, like I said, it's a visual thing. So um, one of the things actually I did want to bring up was racing on TV is something we're hmm. really proud of. Um, really and The proud. Wire. No, for real. I mean, the, I, I think that was one that the like. The man hours alone. No, the hey, one, racing on TV, it, it is in the redesign. We can, yeah. we can make sure everybody it knows is a, It is in the redesign, but we're, I'm really, we, I genuinely am very proud of we this. We can actually read it now. Yeah, because I think that was one of the sections that, in the previous iterations of the magazine was very plain and was kind of like something we dreaded doing uh, every issue. Readers love it. And actually it, it is nice to have a one page or two pages where you can look and see every race that's happening that you can watch on TV this weekend. Um, but it is it, now it's something that I think is a little bit better organized. It's certainly easier to read, easier to get, to get around and we're also highlighting uh, some of the races that we're watching. So when you flip through there, there's a little key, a little uh, kind of an arrow that points out stuff that we're definitely one of our editors is going to yeah, be the big stuff, the important stuff watching on TV. Well, it's not always yeah, the important stuff. It could be an stuff. offbeat the fun one. Stuff. That, uh, there could be some fun uh, the stuff. The fun in stuff. There yeah, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, um, so that that I think to me that's that's kind of emblematic of of this redesign process where. Every little detail of the magazine was taken apart and scrutinized, and we really spent a lot of time trying to think of uh, how we can make this stuff work better for the reader, look better, uh, make it easier to navigate. Um, so we hope uh, that you like it. I think you will. Um, obviously, it's different. Uh, that's scary. Things changing is scary. Um, but I think in this case, it, it was good. It was something we had to do. Um and I think even if it, you know, even if it doesn't feel like Auto Week for a little while, I think you will come to uh, to regard it as familiar. So, um, what else are we talking about uh, besides ourselves? We talk about cars, you know. Ugh, hate them. You tired of them? Tired of cars? Getting there, yeah. No, C- I, cars are good. Cars are fun. Yeah, no, actually, cars are good. Drive, so, driving is fun. What have you been driving lately that is good or interesting? Uh, well, so these past few weeks, um, Ford has sent us a few cars with performance parts on them. You know, Ford has a pretty big uh, catalog of performance parts for sure. all the that. cars they made, uh, all the cars they make almost. Um, we had the uh, Focus, Ford Focus RS yes, um, with a couple extra parts. Do you remember the extra parts on uh, that? I believe uh, exhaust. exhaust, a flash tune, mm-hmm. a short throw shifter, yep. and a $50 Ford Performance windshield banner. I mean, that's worth 10 horsepower alone, so yep. totally um, worth it. But so that's actually related to the car that Bryson drives every day. That's right. It's he drives technically the is non RS. So. Yeah, non RS. Yes, yes. Is, what is yours? Is it an e- SE? Yes, SE? SE. Yeah. Is it the S- it's not an SE Premium, right? No. With the big no, center no, no, no. stuff. SE is what you call the volume seller. Yeah. That's what that there you is. go. The mover. Go. The yeah. shaker. It is. Uh, but no, this RS. I mean, the RS. You know, we we should have done all... a comparison between. Oh my gosh. The, the opportunity was right there. You could have driven the RS for the day. Well, oh, that actually funny. First of all, my my focus, uh, 2012. It's got 230 thousand miles on it already, so it might not be a fair comparison. Mike lives uh, how many miles from work? Uh, about, Mike? You about, live basically about on the ninety miles door to door. Ninety miles from work, so 180 a day times five, almost a thousand a week. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's about the truth. And uh, and this being almost my sixth year on the on the team. Uh, we've we've made about twelve thirteen hundred uh, trips. 
that's uh, uh it's it. a lot of miles man <laughs> and i'm hoping to, you know anybody, you know? <laughs> anybody over four just <laughs> listening i could use a refresh i uh, think if you combine rory and i's combined commute over the year it what doesn't hit one miles. one week no yeah. no we i definitely have one day yeah. one, 180 miles well, one day. Tell you, it's i drive three, two, it's I drive, three miles ish yeah three miles nice. a day so that's yeah combine that it's six so miles six to the two of two, us yeah yeah a week wow. a week's 30 so we're hitting every three weeks we're hitting one day yeah nice <laughs> yeah that's i don't recommend it i'm not we weren't trying to do the, it that way when mike goes to sell this car in a few years with 400 500 000 oh, it's, gonna miles be, on, it's gonna be all expressway to, to the scrap ford, yeah, ford, yeah. ford might want to buy it yeah. <laughs> yeah. a million miles you might be able to sell it yeah it could be the al bundy uh Dodge, he trades in for the new Viper. But between 150, 150,000, and 300,000, you can't sell to anybody. Uh, But above 300,000, then it becomes like some sort of novelty. And then you're like, oh, hold on now. Well, I'm um, about a year away. It's a survivor. I'm about a year away from three. So let's Dude, see. you gotta keep it until at least you hit three. Oh, so, no oh, guaranteed. No question. I want to yeah. see it. I've never. Even, I don't think I've ever seen a car over three hundred. Oh, what? come on, come on. <laughs> you never seen like a nice like a Cummins diesel powered Dodge I've or never seen, like a like Volvo, yeah, or something. Every Volvo, what? like every Volvo ever, or every yeah, Honda Accord yeah, ever. All right. Well, when I hit three hundred thousand, you guys can all come down, sit in my car. It'd be a great time. Listen, yeah. I drove my Saturn to two forty, so I know about high mileage cars. But three hundred is a lot. Wait, you said you got forty miles out of a forty two forty out of a Saturn. That's eighty. Wow. It's not that much, and it burned. It burned a quarter oil like every couple two hours. Weeks. Uh, all right. So what else did you drive? You drove the RS. <laughs> well, that was good. How was the RS? I also yeah, drove. Talk it. about the RS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, you drove the stock one as well a year ago. Yeah, I drove the stock one a, a while ago. So I couldn't really judge like if it felt you know too much faster. Mm. I don't think it felt a ton faster. Well, I mean, the, the thirty horsepower helped or twenty five. Well, it felt like I said. I, I can't remember the seat of the pants feel from a year ago and now, but I mean. RS is, is super fun to drive. It's uh, it's one of the new, you know, the the newest of these all-wheel drive hot hatch type cars. Um, and I remember when I drove the original one, I think I said I think it's better than the STI, just by virtue of it being brand new. Mm. You know, it's got it's got a little bit more power off the off Jump Street, and then um, you know, also with just new, you know, the new technology and stuff. So it's a little better. But we also have the STI in the office right now, so we can have a. Uh, Good comparison between the two. Now, Jake, one of the thing about the Focus, though, uh, the thing that attracts a lot of us to the Focus is the mileage. Mm-hmm. Are you getting? Are you getting? Are you? How much mileage are you losing with all that performance? When I when I was driving the most, RS, uh, most of it. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I would say. What, what do you probably get? Thirty five ish. I'm I'm still getting about thirty eight. That's that's I, great. I, wow. That is really good. And that, I, I was mean, I was I was getting thirty nine to forty my first year or two, and now it's yeah, you know between thirty seven thirty eight pretty consistently. Uh, I didn't fill it up, but Wes, did you get a twice um, with some <laughs> with some spirited driving? You're hovering in the single digit range. No, if, no, if you're no. no, if you're in boost constantly and driving like you should that's, drive an RS, that's, uh, that's uh, low. Cruising around, I was getting eighteen, okay. twenty. Yeah, okay, right, right, right. But that's not enjoying the car. No, no, no but like. T- 20, I would bet on the expressway you get even more than 20. If you were just taking it for a road trip, I would bet you'd be in the uh, 23 range or something like that. Well, yeah, it's still in the 20s, though. But Right, still in the 20s. But driving it like it's supposed to be driven, under 20, completely believable. Under 10, I mean, the Mustang gets 8 on the track almost. <laughs> I mean, so it can't yeah. be too much under 10. I was just looking at the, uh, the monitoring, the live monitoring of the... Fuel economy and it, it was dipping down to the eight under well, un, under a pole. Yeah, but, but that's yeah, not your average. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not an average. No, I didn't gear, say that. No, Jesus with Wesley. a foot to the floor, it's oh, at no. two point three miles per gallon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's like thir- third gear when you're in boost when you're pulling. It's it's not well, it's yeah, not sipping gas. Well, that right. 
Which is how you should drive that when, car. When the the turbo is forcing more air and the injectors are forcing more, more fuel, fuel, yeah, to compensate, then you get worse gas mileage. I don't understand. I don't. Well, and that's the where's same, Robin? Get the engineer. <laughs> that's here. the same thing when they said like, oh yeah, get the uh, get the the four bell on your car because you'll use less gas because right, you know yeah, yeah. Like, st- no well, one uses less gas. <laughs> yeah. That's actually that's actually makes sense because you're out of the. You're out of the throttle as but much. Same thing You're with getting the more turbo. air. Same thing with the turbo. It makes sense, but no one gets it. Yeah. Well, why, uh, we bring up, why are we bringing up gas, too? I mean, with, with the hurricanes coming through and all this, oh, man. we're seeing gas prices go up again. I mean, we've seen 275 yeah. 280 uh, this week, and uh, you know, it might only get higher. Uh, yeah, well, the huge, obviously, the one in Texas definitely um, And then the you know, one coming it. up. And then this one coming up will also hurt it, but... You know, anything but anything happens. If, uh, if you're uh, buying, a butterfly flaps his wings in Japan, yeah, yeah, and our yeah. gas goes up. I mean, who knows? If well, you're we've buying been pretty a, good for the last four or five years. We have. I mean, we can't, uh, here in Michigan, we can't, we can't complain. complain. If you're buying a forty thousand dollar Focus, gas prices are one of the least of your worries. Well, I won't say that because I feel like the Focus RS is maybe something that someone like me might stretch for. So okay, here's here's the question. So a buddy of mine, speaking of this, is a good time to bring this up. Mm. Uh, he is in a so he grew up uh we both kind of were volkswagen fans he had a 1.8 t with like a i think it's stage two apr tune um so if if i remember correctly he was making mid 200 horsepowers horse horsepower to the wheels to the i don't know horsepower so anyway fast car fun car he had done a bunch of other suspension stuff to it um Got married and Uh-oh. bought a CTS wagon. Cool. Not Goodbye. V. Mm-hmm. Still. Automatic, uh, black, cool car. Yeah. Wants to get back into something a little bit more enthusiast-y. He called me asking about a Golf R. He said, should I wait wait for the 18 Golf R with a much better infotainment, whatever you want to, that's the dumbest word in the world, uh, center stack. Media system. Com- Computer thing. Uh, I don't hate infotainment. It's a terrible word. It's bad. I mean, it's exactly what it, it just says what it is. It's not trying no, what, to be clever. No, what's it that even says mean? What it is. What's okay. that even mean? Information and entertainment. What do you mean? What does it mean? Uh, anyway. anyway. What, do you, what do you call it if you don't call it infotainment? I, I don't know. A media system. I used to call it a <laughs> radio. <laughs> or, I mean, you call it a nav system. Nav yeah. system. Navi, yeah. So, anyway, he, uh, he was like. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jimmy is sitting here. No, uh, I, was, I was looking at our, our volume just went up oh, double yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for that little Anyway, infotainment is a hot button yeah. item. Yep. So uh, he's your friend. Should I wait so, till the, yeah. wait for an 18 uh, Golf R? Which is a good car. Great car. Or is there anything else? Oh, so much. Uh, in that neighborhood that I should be looking at. And I said, you know, what do you mean in that neighborhood? And he said, you know, around 40 grand. Hmm. All-wheel drive, hatch. Oh, so then uh-huh. Subaru's out. The Subaru's out. Yeah. And R- so I said... R.I.P. Hatchback SDI. Because um, he's got a sailboat, a little sailboat that he races, a little laser sailboat, um, and some gear to haul around. And um, he owns a restaurant, so he spends he does haul some catering stuff occasionally, mm. um, which, you know, obviously the CTS was great at. But I said, go drive a Focus RS. It, I said, it may be... Two two boy racer for you, but I you know I don't think you can 
talk about Golf R until you go drive that car. No, and, and I think if you get the Focus RS in a better color than that super blue. The nitrous blue, blue so, yeah. And, and I, I love that. The, I, like, I like the blue, and I love the, that... The gray. The, the gray, too, yeah. but they're both pretty... Racer boy. The, the yeah. white and the black are pretty demure yes. as far as that The black one could sneak under the radar um, of, a, of a police officer. But but if you're talking about forty grand, I mean, the Golf R is definitely up there, but I personally would take the RS over the Golf R. Same. But like... Um, a used A45 AMG. That's what I was about to say. Or the uh, Audi S3. Did, did they do that in the hatch? Not anymore. No. no. Okay. Okay. So, but the A... The, would you say CLA 45 AMG? Yeah. yeah. Well, but, but, yeah. Both those or cars. GLA 45 uh, The one, the CL, the CLA is a lower one. It's the same car. But he wants a hatch. Yeah, the GLA is a little SUV one, right? Yeah, the CLA is still a hatchback. The A45 AMG. Is, you can get that in a hatch. Okay, yeah. So, so, that, so that should be in the conversation, too. But I, I knew it's way more expensive. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, no. The base CLA is 30. So I don't know if the CLA 40, CL, the pick big it up, one pick would it up be 40. Phone. Yeah, well, regardless, regardless, I think he's looking at, you know, a like, manual gearbox, which yeah. you can still get in the Golf R, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Golf R, yeah, uh, manual is a requirement. Okay, then the the AMG's yeah. out, sadly. Um, What'd you find out on your portable info, infotainment system over there, Jake? Oh. Uh, listen, if you want to know about infotainment, go uh, go to AutoWeek and search uh, what is infotainment. And we ah, have a, yes, uh, very good. large article there at AutoWeek.com. Uh, but, CLA 45 AMG is what I'm looking up, right? A45 AMG, yeah. A, they don't sell the A45 AMG in America. I thought they did. No, they do not. Yeah, CLA. I, yeah. Right, so that's the four-door coupe. So if it's got to be a hatch, the RS and the Volkswagen R are your choices. I like the RS better. It's definitely more boy racer than the Volkswagen R. But the GTI... He's not interested in a GTI. He wants all-wheel drive. He wants all-wheel. And, and, and more horsepower. Frankly, he wants more power. And, like, mm. you know, I Fair think the, um, the GTI, to me, is as fun to drive as the RS. I, I, or not the RS, the Golf R. Yeah, it's and I, GTI is so good. I went through a similar thing last year, two years ago, uh, between the ST and the GTI with my wife. Uh, the I liked the ST, but it's such a fun car. But it's that torque steer is hilarious. My wife, my uh, Borat voice wife, <laughs> was like, absolutely not. Like the stitching and the seats and the wing and the whole like, mm-hmm. it yep. was just a non-starter for and her. And the inserts in the seats too. Yeah. yeah. So the GTI was the clear. Wait, don't you have the plaid seats in that GTI? Yeah, <laughs> you have to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What did the What did the Focus have again? They have like the little well, like, ye- uh, yellow inserts and I think yellow accents. Yeah, stitching. but they also have oh, like the yeah. little um, the em- emblem in this. No, it's like a little honeycomb thing, kind of mm. like the little raised on the seats. Is that right? I, I can't recall. I don't remember. I've anyway, been an ST in a minute. Uh, but yeah, that was an easy choice for her. And I think like personality wise, he's probably more of a golf R person. Plus, he's got a history with Volkswagens. I think he owned like four Volkswagens. Yeah, there's nothing the bad about the Golf R. The, the I think the RS was more fun. Mm. Golf R is more exotic too. And that was he's, he the, said Golf R or the Golf R, R I think is way more exotic. He was I don't like, know. he was they're, like, they're both built in Germany. Can I? He's like, can I DD a Golf R? Is that too much? Like, oh yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my move, if I were to ever buy a Golf R, ditch the badges, put GTI badges on it, and try to put a D- GTI grill in it. Yeah. And then just or standard golf or standard golf, whatever. Yeah, kind yeah. of funny, actually. Yeah, and Sleep, then t- sleeper. a total sleeper. Make do a sleeper yeah. Um, um, yeah, the GTI 
is just is, the GTI is not as fun anymore because it's just such a good car it's, all the way around. Yeah, it's so quiet good. and refined and fast and everything, and it's great. Um, the ST still feels like a little bit unrefined and kind of like it's spunky. It's more raw, yeah. 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 Um, considering you can make but, a sharp right-hand turn into a... If I'm looking at Focus ST, the Fiesta ST is even more fun than the Focus the ST. R.I.P. Uh, yeah. Soon to R.I.P. Yeah. yeah, going. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. What's the final? Final verdict. Pricing, we'll start with you. The Volkswagen or the Ford? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a Ford guy, I think, right. and I think you guys have sold me. I'm a little, uh, little leery of the uh, you know, miles per gallon, but I still think it sounds like a, a, good, a good choice. Mm. All right, W. Uh, I love that RS. It's such a fun car, especially with the Ford performance parts. Yeah. It, it, that w- it wakes it up. Even like stock RS compared to stock Golf R. That rear diff. It, that you can lock and throw yeah. a, a, allegedly 100% of the power at. Yeah. Oh, no. I drifted a Focus R. I could never drift any car, and then I drifted a Focus RS, but it was in the wet, so I guess it doesn't really where did Where did you do that? Uh, that was at Utah Motorsports Campus. Nice. When I was doing a Ford Performance thing. They let us uh, out on the skid pad with the... Uh, You've never drifted any car? I mean, I've tried are, to drift wait, a ton of cars. How are you the road <laughs> test editor? No, I and can, I... I can I, drift. I have... <laughs> done some drifting like around corners but to just do like a constant circle and keep sure. it going yeah like, that's, it is, that takes a lot of skill the hardest thing around and uh listen i don't, if, if I don't you, know uh, i mean i'm a pretty bad driver and i i i would love for us to get a little drifting demo going to see who could, i'm not good doing and who could. i'm not like a good i'm not like i couldn't compete mm. in, like i would i don't know no, what the hell i'm doing i i would be driving surprised. a car sideways jimmy can drive a car sideways i would be surprised now, if on drive pavement you could keep a car going around in a circle in a drift oh i absolutely can i, I i've done it a hundred times i think we should do it let's do it right I now i think it's a throwdown i think we gotta get a video and uh, let's see do it right now happens. uh but jake anyway focus our before we do that <laughs> accepts the challenge. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Jim, i know jimmy can do it i've seen jimmy do it uh, Back to the uh, Focus RS. Focus RS Golf R. You're with your own money. You're going out and buying the car today. Focus RS. But it sounds like your guy wants the Volkswagen more. But I, for me, I would say Focus Ooh, RS. But here's, no, the, here's, thing, here's the right answer. He's going to have to wait. He's going to have to wait until this spring to get the the next Golf the, R, the yeah. new Golf R. Or Wait, yeah, yeah. next golf. Is yeah, it going to be anything new? Is it going to be new, new? or it's, I mean, it's, is new, it a, it's a light refresh with a new infotainment, I think. Oh. Right, right. And their infotainment is notoriously bad. So it, Volkswagens or Fords? Right. Volkswagen. It's not good. Yeah. The Ford, um, the Ford one's not great either. Is it Sync 3? It's Sync 3, yeah. Sync 3 is way better than... Oh, God. Yeah, yeah so much way better. better but two was like doubly as good as one, and three is like almost twice as good as two. Almost yeah. three times as good as one. But, but it's not... Yeah. But it's still as far as like the whole market goes, it's not great. Sync, so Sync 3 is not when, when, when I think about performance cars, the first thing I do is play with the stupid screen well, in right. the center stack. <clears throat> yeah, right. Yeah, like I would never <laughs> turn that on. And, and it, if, if you can play music, that's all I care about. Yeah. If it has an aux cord. Oh, my God. So this is something, <laughs> changing the subject entirely, that, what, how are we doing for time, Jimmy? We're well past. Well, past. well yeah, we just, fuck. We have a meeting in, shit, six minutes. Actually. Okay, so we're going to wrap up there. We didn't talk about Cars in Corktown at all. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it prior to the next one. Cars in Corktown was awesome. It was uh, great. We saw a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah there was, I think we talked about it in the last one, didn't we? We previewed it. Previewed. We have... A, Three minutes to talk about what we saw. Okay. Favorite thing we saw at Cars in Corktown. Uh, Go. 63 Pontiac Star Chief. Oh, wait. That's mine. Uh, no. The best thing at Cars in Corktown, uh, Mike Simcoe, the head of GM Design, brought the 59 Stingray Racer concept. Like one of the coolest cars oh, in and we, existence. And we saw it run. And we saw it run and drive. 
Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, the mo- like, look up the car right now if it's not familiar to you. It's one of the ones that presaged the C2 Corvettes. What is it called? Stingray Concept? It's it's called? Stingray, Stingray Racer Concept. Concept. Stingray Racer Concept. Yeah. The Stingray. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so rad. And we got to see it run. It's a fuel-injected, Rochester fuel-injected small block, yeah. as a Corvette should be. It was... It was rad. Um, some cool. Uh, one of the guys from Ford Design brought his uh, Model A thirty thirty one coupe. Yeah, that was bought. Oh, I think it was built in Australia. Is that right? I don't know. I didn't talk to him. Okay. Uh, that would be weird. Who Consider- did you talk to at this thing, Wesley? Um, I mostly talked to my friend uh, Zach Fox with his nineteen fifty nine Chevy. That's juiced. Uh, what about uh, the guy who brought the Mad Max car that spit flames? Oh, God, that was weird. Yeah. Spit flames and had like the that was, that cage was a hanging from the Ford back of it. truck. Uh, that was, was like a F1. Ford, yeah. F1. Tow truck. Yeah. So tow truck. 40 to 52. Yeah. With a cage on it? Like a human cage? I would call it bird cage. Uh, it was like a human no, cage. It was a, a, human a, lar- cage. a large sized bird cage. It was a yeah. human cage. It was a human sure. cage in the back. Because yeah, any, almost any bird could fly out of it. Almost an ostrich? Yeah. Not probably not an ostrich. There we go. But you'd have a hard time uh, but we probably had, I mean, in the first place. There's probably 100 cars, right? If yeah. Not more. Yeah. I think and the head kinda, counts over 100. Yeah. We kind of soft launched it. I think I counted 300 cars. Um, and We're we rolling ex- through. We would expect it to be a little bit bigger than that. There's a sweet uh, Dodge Omni GLH. That was Chris it's for sale. Telly, yeah, I, I believe his name <laughs> yeah. is. Really From, cool from Dodge. That yeah. was almost. Oh, was it? Yeah. He's a designer at Dodge. Yeah, that was a really. It's really such cool a cool car. car. Yeah. It was set up like it looked perfect for like what you would want that to look like. A little yeah. bit and wide, it's, had some wide uh, and it's fast. Like yeah. wide lit as tires. Fast yeah. as a GLH that's a, can be. That's a Those car cars that's are like awesome. on my because my first car was a, a Plymouth Horizon automatic. Um, oh, my mom had that car. Yeah, a lot of people's moms had that car. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was an awesome event. We're gonna do uh, another one in October. Jimmy's still finalizing the dates, but um, it should be even. Bi- November fourth, it's my birthday. It's finalized, boom! Yeah, it's finalized, <laughs> and uh, in October. It's that is the worst November. day in October. November fourth. Yeah. <sighs> uh, <laughs> God. Uh, so we're anticipating somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen hundred cars, I would guess. Two 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 thousand. Yeah. We have space for two thousand, so hopefully um, won't go too much above that. Yeah, we're doing it in Cobo, right? We'll no, it'll, an it'll be. Uh, it's in Corktown at the factory, uh, Robbie Buell's place corner of roughly the corner of michigan and sorry rosa parks Rosa Parks, um kind of over by the old tiger stadium if you know where that yeah, is right in detroit there. um super awesome it's the only uh cars and coffee type event that's actually held in detroit and it starts at a reasonable hour and it starts at not 7 a.m um, yeah which is cool because you can go like if you're coming from the burbs you can go to past diners First, mm-hmm. uh, which is my favorite, um, I guess now second favorite cars and coffee type event. Uh, go there from seven till say eight thirty, and then rip down Woodward to uh, to our thing, uh, and get get a really cool morning. Get out of there in time to get lunch downtown or in Corktown. Um, a lot of great places down there. We're just at Batch Brewery, Batch Brewing. A uh, really good spot. Um, go to Slows. You can go Mercury to Bar, Bob Mercury Bar, Bob Yeah, exactly. Gold Cash Gold. Yeah, there's a, there's much place to go on there. And yeah, if you uh, if you don't want to get up at the at the crack of dawn, I mean, if you're a younger 20, 30, 40 something, and you know you just want to like, get out there at ten or eleven o'clock, we'll be there. Yep. Yeah, it, yeah, it's great. And we had bagels from Detroit Institute of Bagels, probably the restaurant with the best name maybe ever. Um, That's where I got my doctorate. 
Yep. <laughs> yep. Jake does have his doctorate from there. A PhD in bagels. Anyway, so bagels. with the bagel discussion, I think we can probably wrap this one up. Uh, next time, we're going to talk about key fobs and. Uh, Telemetry. Nope. I don't think so. OBD2 ports. Nope. Key fobs and the other thing that was I really wanted to talk about the disappearance of the auxiliary input in new cars. Wait a minute, are you going to complain about it? It's a nightmare. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Use a USB like everybody else, you Luddite. (laughs) I don't do that. For next time. Anyway, (laughs) next time. (laughs) Okay.